0: Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. We're in uh, this amazing series of the King's Speech, and this morning... We're going to look at this topic, building dependable relationships, building dependable relationships. Um, The kingdom of God operates through relationship. That's how it works. We see the power of God um, manifest in all sorts of different ways. But the kingdom of God, the power of it always happens through one-on-one or one-to-a-group relationship. It's, It's a relational thing. Never underestimate the power of a conversation. Never underestimate the power of your words. Never underestimate uh, what God could do at a moment in a relationship. That's where the power of the kingdom of God is. It can be instantaneous or it can be over a small process, but either way, it's, uh, it's very real. And so, don't underestimate that. And we'll hopefully draw some thoughts out this morning, as we look at this topic. But uh, building dependable relationships. So the responsibility for building is ours, but God is building with us. Okay. So this series is all about uh, resetting foundations, and we we know that God spoke right at the beginning of the series. In fact, it was the week of prayer and fasting. Pretty much three months ago, on the Monday during the morning of that first prayer meeting, I felt God say to me, I am rebuilding the foundations of this church. It's interesting that Caroline had that, um, you know, I started to choke up when she was, because I knew where she was going with that, because I know that history. And I'm thinking, she's describing this church. And as you know what God has done through the generations, like we had that great worship song about the generations this morning, and... God is, I tell you, God's so big and He's so intentional and He's so powerful and He's so determined that your life will be a good life and that you will see what He is planning to do. He's so intentional about it that He will virtually. Hit you in the face with his presence. And so for those of you who can see my eyes, are a little bit red this morning, uh, I had an incident in Macedonia. Fortunately, it wasn't a beating up. It was a small insect who overwhelmed me. And it's taken a week of antibiotics to try and get, get over that. But, but God literally will confront us with his presence. And he's going to do it this morning. I know he is. Some of the stuff in this message he's going to confront us with. And so much so that God even confronted me on the way down to church this morning in the car with exactly the same thing. And I just, God will not stop. When he's doing something, he does not stop. He just makes a way, as Fred did, said in the verse there God makes a way where nobody else can make a way. He causes the dead to come to life. Um, I'm going to have to use my glasses this morning simply because of the need that is upon us. <laughs> so uh, last week, I listened to Vlad's message. Great message. Boy, there's a lot of passion in that. Um, great. The imagery of the fire and, and the, the, de- the destructive pa- power of lust that can overwhelm the heart of a man or a woman or a person. And um, is there any other kind of person? A man or a woman? <laughs> um, but, you know, that power is so real. I knew Vlad was preaching on it last weekend. And, I, you know, that that whole thing that gets inside your heart to drive you in a sort of self-fulfilling way, whatever it is, and last week was very graphic, I know, but that is a big deal. And we have to deal with those things in our lives. And today, as we look at building dependable relationships, we're going to pick up on the text and go forward the next few verses. And the very next verse is, um, is leading us into the conversation around adultery and divorce, which is not a pleasant topic. Most of you, if you've ever encountered that in your life, want to avoid it. You don't want to go back to it. You, don't want, to, you want to move on. But God is... Got that in the text this morning, so we're going to just look at it. But before we do, there was a—I um, heard recently on TV about a Bible that was called the Wicked Bible. Has anyone ever heard of the Wicked? Now, Wicked is is an old English expression that meant it was really bad, not a modern expression when it's really good. And so, in 1631, a version of the King James Bible was published, and it was called the Wicked Bible. And there are only ten copies in the world. But you know the bit—the reason it's called the Wicked Bible. It's this. I don't know if you can see that on screen, but in Exodus 20, verse 14, it says, Thou shalt commit adultery. (laughs) It's a massive error in the text. And it was so serious that King Charles I, uh, well, I don't think he chopped anyone's head off, but he certainly removed the license to publish and had all the copies burnt that they could find, and the, the archbishop as well. But it's interesting that this mistake happened Thou shalt commit adultery, which is clearly a license for all sorts of things. But, um, That's clearly not true. And the Ten Commandments talk about the fact that adultery is bad. But in the text this morning that we're going to pick up in Matthew 5, Jesus tackles this briefly. He says in verse 31-32, It was also said, however, uh, uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, what Jesus is doing in this this Sermon on the Mount is he's referring to something that is stated in, in Jewish custom And he makes the statement. It was also said, so he's carrying on from the previous conversation about the damage of lust and those things, and the adulterous heart. Remember that that conversation from last week. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus is quoting a pattern of activity that has happened in Jewish culture. But I say to you, now he's injecting himself now, the personality of Christ. He's coming in with his new perspective on this. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Right, that's pretty heavy. Um, just to give a context for this, this statement, and it's important to unpack it. In the days of Jesus, when he walked this earth, um, women were very much dependent on their husbands for their livelihood, for their protection, um, for, for income. The husband w- was the guy who basically... They did a lot of work, but the guy had to go and you know, do a lot. Of- he had a huge responsibility. So if the guy said, I've had enough, I'm walking away from you... He was the one in the power position. Do you get it? She wasn't. She was basically dependent on him more than we see today. The world has changed in, in the modern uh, age, but um, that's why he said it this way. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. In other words, he's saying that you impact another life when you do something completely selfish. That's what he's saying. And this isn't analysis of adultery. We're not going to go through... Reams and reams of discussion about adultery, because you know what that is. But Jesus is saying that when you take a selfish decision, and in this case, he's talking to men, that you are causing your wife to commit adultery. In other words, your impact is more than just your selfishness, taking away her livelihood. You're now forcing her into a, a position before God that is very, very serious. Now, in theory, if he then goes off with another woman, then she the grounds would change, wouldn't it? Because he would be committing adultery before God. But it just makes the point that God looks at our marriages. That's what the the key thing here is that God looks at our marriages. God looks at the relationships you're forming. Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you're thinking about it. Maybe you're looking forward to that day when that, that beautiful princess will walk into your life and you'll sweep her off her feet and you just don't know what fun is coming up in front of you. Maybe that's in front of you. Maybe you're waiting for Prince Charming, and you can't. You found a lot of frogs, and you're you're yet you're yet to find one that doesn't croak. Um, <laughs> waxing lyrical here, but anyway, um, it's good to think about this because God looks at marriages. It, marriages, uh, you know, Gavin Calver, lad. You re- re- referenced Gavin Calver. We were with Gavin Calver about a week and a half ago. He made the comment, you know, to go on a TV debate about whether marriages should be renewed or replaced should we say every 5 years and have kind of disposable marriages it's just not a good idea it's a very big deal to god we're in a society where everything is disposable including personal relationship and jesus is making the point i say to you because he's saying he's basically saying god looks at your marriage and that's what the the key message is today he looks at it don't live selfishly God is looking at it. So if your marriage is in trouble today, I've got just a couple of thoughts for you. Ask your spouse, how can we build together? It's a decision. Start with a question. If your marriage is in difficulty today, sit down and ask your spouse, how can we build together? How can we renew the foundations of our marriage? How can we do it? Because no matter who you go to, if it's a counselor or if it's a friend, or your, you're going to have to do that. How can we rebuild what we've already got? You want to work on that. And the three things I would suggest that you look at are firstly, how can we rebuild trust? How can we rebuild trust? How can we build trust and discuss it? How can we build trust together to build more trust in our relationship? How can we do it? What's it going to take? Secondly, How can we build confidence in each other? How can we build confidence in each other? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes to the Father except through me. Building trust, building confidence. And finally, how can we model God's love in our marriage? Now, you may think that's a weird question. How can we model God's love? Because everything in the New Testament that touches marriage talks about marriage paralleling what Jesus has done for his church. Therefore, your marriage should be able to model God's love. How can we model God's love in our marriage? How can we do it? If you could tackle just those three questions, trust, confidence, and modeling God's love in your marriage, it will transform Your marriage. You will save yourself thousands of pounds on counseling. You will avoid the bitter agony of of talking about divorce. And the things that are selfish in the relationship will quickly come out. But you've got to do it authentically. Those three things are very, very important. Jesus said, but I say to you, Jesus was changing the idea of his generation. He was talking about God seeing a covenant partnership, not convenient paperwork. That's why he's tackling this thing. Um, give him a, give her a certificate of divorce. God isn't interested in paperwork. He's, he's interested in, in, in a covenant partnership that forms a marriage, a husband and wife. Marriage is a gift from God. So you need to work to, to repair that if it's damaged and to build it if you have the honor of being in a marriage. It's our responsibility. You know, um, God brought marriage in for multiple reasons. One was an antidote for loneliness. One was to multiply a human population. Uh, God told Noah in Genesis uh, to be fruitful and increase in number. Go forth and multiply. So God said, effectively, go get married and produce kids. God said, go do it. So, marriage, and it's between one man and one woman. That's the biblical pattern of marriage. That's what God's intention has always been. Male and female are designed to fit together. That's, that's how it's designed. You know that, and I know that, and it's in the fit that God designed. But you know, it's interesting. We know that in the biblical narrative that Adam came first and Eve followed, I think God made Adam wait because he needed to know what he didn't have. He needed to know about it. He needed to understand loneliness. He needed to know how desperately important it was going to be to have a wife. He needed to know it. He had to be exposed to himself to discover that he needed someone with him. He needed a, a, a friend, he needed a companion, he needed someone to be a partner for life. And so, so our marriage is very visible to God. It says in Mark 10, 7-9, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. You see what God is saying here, that what God has joined together, we are not, marriages are not a disposable commodity. They are something that in the throne room of heaven, God looks at and he sees the covenant commitment. They're not disposable. They are our responsibility. And some of you may have had in your history a marriage that failed or two marriages or more even. You are where you are today. And what we have got to do is build on what God has given us to build on today. We need to see that God isn't looking to condemn you for your past. He's looking to establish the best possible scenario you could build today and for your future. So God is saying, I look at marriages. What God has joined together, let nobody separate. Right? The two become one. There's a union that takes place. And, uh, you know, it's... um, It's a big deal to God. It is. I found this fantastic verse in Malachi 2.15 in the message. And uh, if you can read that, it's it's not that easy to read on the screen. Uh, It says that God, not you, made marriage. Interesting statement, this. His spirit inhabits even the tiniest, smallest details of marriage. His spirit inhabits the smallest details of marriage. Now, that is a sobering thought. So as you are looking for a life partner, as you are in a relationship with your husband or your wife, whatever your scenario, you need to understand this, that God knows every detail of what is going on in that relationship. And he holds us accountable for what we do. And he does it because it's important that we do. So that's the plan. One man, one woman, joined by God, perfect fit. It's it's not a contract which is based on mutual distrust. Do you remember when we had Pastor Sama from Egypt? He did an amazing talk about the difference between contract and covenant. And we should go back and look at those notes. I'm not going to go into all that detail this morning. But contract is based on mutual distrust. In other words, you are looking for a return on your investment. And if your investment's not good enough, contracts over. And you either buy your way out of the contract or you go make a contract with somebody else. That's the nature of contracts. And people who do contracts do loads of contracts. Well, marriage, you don't do loads of marriages. You just do one marriage. Okay, that's the the plan. So marriage is that covenant mutual commitment of all in 100%. So it's both parties in 100%. And uh, it's God's intention that the trust should be in there. Um, It's interesting, that word That Hebrew word that I've got at the bottom of the screen, karat berit, actually is in the Scripture more than 90 times. And you know what? When when the Scriptures often refer to covenant, they use the expression to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. That's what's in the Scriptures. The actual, it's, just a, it's just an expression that the Bible uses. Now, it's interesting because often to cut a covenant actually was a sac- often a sacrifice involved in a covenant. We know that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. We know the covenant that Jesus Christ has established for us. We know the new covenant. But often there's bloodshed. And, and you know where this is going. When you get married, if a virgin wife and a virgin husband are together, there is a cut. And there is blood. And you can see the whole symbolism behind marriage and why God takes it so seriously. He takes it very, very seriously. Your marriage is not something for you to play around with and to be selfish and adopt it in your perspective from one way versus another. It's there to be 100% of a commitment between each other. So there are things that happen when you're dating that you put up with. (laughs) And there are things you, put, you, how you encounter when you're married that you don't put up with. So some things you tolerate when you're dating become things that are torment when you get married. And often couples fail to realize that you really can't change the other person. Uh, who would like to change the other person? Nobody's daring to put their hands up. But um, there is a contrast. When you're, they say love is blind, don't they? Love is blind. You go through the whole process... And then you wake up one day and realize that you are now seeing all those things that you tolerated now becoming torments. <laughs> and it works both ways. Tough. That's how it is, right? You've got to figure it out and you've got to work it out. So, so God, um, God uses differences to enhance our relationship. But those differences are used by Satan to divide your relationship. Um, who knows in this room that they are very different to their spouse? Just raise your hand if you, if you know that you are very different. Pretty much most of you know. See, that's where the opportunity is, but it's also where the risk is. And that's why we have to keep short account. So marriages are not created to solve your problems. Did you know that? They are not there to solve your problems. They are there, and they will reveal your problems. That's actually what a marriage does. A marriage is going to reveal the real you to the real spouse. That's what's going to happen. And if you have got a problem in your marriage, you know who the problem is? You. (laughs) It's you. Take your finger and point to yourself. Just go on, take your finger, married people, and point to yourself. Not to the other person, you naughty people. (laughs) It is you that marriages reveal. They reveal. They don't solve, which is why you have to work at it. You've got to work at it. You know, you've got to work at it. And, um, you know, one of the cardinal things you mustn't do is forget your wife's birthday. And I never do, do I, Liz? I'm watching the eyebrows. I'm watching them. I'm watching them. They're moving. They've got a life and they're independent. They're going and all sorts. But um, I discovered to my shock, uh, in fact, I don't think I have forgotten it for ever well a month early (laughs) being a month early is a see i'm on it i'm on it um but i discovered i was talking to vlad in the week and we discovered that in samoa it's actually a crime to forget your wife's birthday you know i've been looking to find the penalty if anyone finds what the penalty is someone said to me well i looked on the internet i was trying to find because it's all over the place wives there's a punishment if you forget who's forgotten their wife's birthday Nobody's daring to put their hand up. No, you good people. Anyway, so covenant partnership, godly leadership, mutual submission. And we discussed Ephesians 5, 22 to 25 a couple of years ago. and It was an amazing time when we brought God's truth. It says, for wives, it means they submit to their husbands as to the Lord. But husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her. And that's it. That's the standard of the covenant. Godly leadership, mutual submission. Which means you have to have the conversations. Now, you may have to involve other people in the conversation to help get there, but you need to have it. So that's what mutual responsibility is. Covenant partnership, godly leadership, and mutual submission. We have to solve our difference. We're either going to be united or we're going to be untied. The difference is where I am in the word. Interesting, isn't it? Just jot that down. I'm not going to labor this one. You know, some people will say, well, we just fell out of love. I don't believe that. I, I don't think you filled your fuel tank. You know, if your car runs out of fuel, what do you do? Do you scrap your car? Go get another car? No, you, know, you, you get. you push that car to the petrol station and you fill it back up again. That's what you do. You've got to fill it up. You've got to fill it up. You can't allow the love to run dry. Um, you can't do it. you've got to refill, refill, refill. And you may say, but I don't feel like it, but it's not about feeling. it's about fueling. It's not feeling. it's about fueling. Marriage is not about feelings in the, the day. it's about fueling. And if you can fuel it, you'll get the feelings. Right? So the feelings are important, but it doesn't start with the feelings. It starts with the fueling. So if your marriage is running dry and you just you've run out of gas, get someone to help you, push that thing and get filled up. You get the metaphor. So we've got to solve those differences. So this is the first one that Jesus talks about. I'm going to be briskly moving through the final parts of this, but um, Jesus deliberately tackles marriage and divorce because it's the foundation of so much opportunity, but it's the foundation for so much destruction. Because if we get it right, you can build an incredible life for yourself. You'll have the happiest experience in your future. And your kids will have a fantastic experience with their parents. You could set up a whole generation of change just by tooling, not to be led by feelings, but by fuelings. Just by changing our mindset. But God also goes on in the Scriptures. Uh, we read about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 33, 36. Just a small point I'll drop in here. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, uh, but fulfill to the Lord the oath you have made. But I tell you, Jesus bringing a new perspective. Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or uh, for its God's throne, or by earth for its his footstool, or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. Now, that stuff doesn't mean very much to us. It would have meant a lot to the people listening to Jesus at the time. But in a nutshell, this is what this is saying. It's saying, in some versions it says vows, and don't confuse this with marriage vows, right? This is not relating to marriage vows. This is, this is about oaths. And the reason Jesus tackled this about building relationships was because relationships need strong integrity, which means that they're authentic and truthful. And the trouble with an oath is an oath is often something that's done in public for ceremonial purposes or for legal purposes or for demonstration of something. And attached to that oath is often a reference to God himself. So it'll be a God reference in an oath. And what you're saying is, I stand before Almighty God and I promise to do X, Y, and Z. The President of the United States had an inaugural oath when he took office. Um, you see it with the, um, you know, if you're a doctor, the Hippocratic Oath. There's an oath in there. In fact, it says in that Hippocratic Oath, don't think of yourself as God. It's in. It's one of the lines in the Hippocratic Oath. And if you go to court and you, you're sworn in as a juror, they ask you to repeat an oath. And what Jesus is saying is that oaths themselves are not wrong. And I think sometimes Christians misunderstand this text. It's not that oaths are wrong. The problem is the fact that they exist. Because they exist, because everything else is probably dodgy. (laughs) And if everything's got to wait for an oath, that means you've got license to not tell the truth at other times. Because the oath makes a difference between whether you tell the truth or don't tell the truth. And what Jesus is saying is, don't go down the route of referring to oaths. Be changed in who you are. He's tackling integrity. So we've got to build relationships, whether you're married or single, working, whether you're in church, out of church, whether you're on holiday, You've got to be 100% truthful in who you are. Jesus is saying, I'm looking, and God sees everything. He sees what's going on over the whole earth. He knows what's in your heart. He's looking for truth and integrity in what you are as a person and who you are. It's not about a moment when there's an oath. It's about what you do day in and day out. It says in Proverbs 11, verse 3, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Now, that's interesting. Look at that script that's come up on my screen. That's extreme. Well, If you can't read that language, (laughs) the A and the B there, the first one is choose honesty. Honesty. There are two components to integrity. The first one is honesty, absolute honesty in relationships. That means if you are married, there's honesty, wisdom as well. I'm not just saying you create a problem by hitting your spouse with all the wrong kind of information at the wrong time. But there's honesty. So if you're asked a straight question, you give a straight answer. You be truthful. Don't hide stuff. If you're in good relationship and you've got a close relationship, you can, you can communicate just by the way you look at someone. You, people can pick up your body language. And, and what, so it's honesty. You can, you can be dishonest in the way you behave in front of someone if they know you well. Choose honesty. Be upfront with people. Don't hide stuff. Don't give partial truth. I've come across a lot of situations recently, much to my disappointment, where I've seen and been with people who've given me partial truth. It is unbelievable. And I'm talking about Christians here. And I can't talk about it because it would be unfair to the people. But I have come across situations where I've been given partial truth on multiple situations. And it deeply cuts into your heart. I'm not talking necessarily in the life of this church. I'm just talking in life, and it is it's horrible because you know the truth will find you out. You will be exposed, and if you are a partial truth person, you have got to change. You've got to have the integrity of honesty that is real. It's not hidden because if you hide a bit of the truth when you're in conversation and you know you should talk about something and you hide it, you know what you're doing. You're manipulating. And if you manipulate, you know what the Bible calls that? Witchcraft. So you may come to church on Sunday and you have lived a life, you know, you, you, know, you love God, yeah, yeah. But outside of the, the meetings, you're giving partial truth in situations. You are exercising manipulation of people. And if you're doing it, you're actually becoming an agent of witchcraft. That is not a good place to be. So we've got to tighten up on that. To build relationships with integrity is critical if we're restoring foundations. And we've got to establish. The second part is establishing strong moral principles. James says that um, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness is linked to where you put your faith. Remember the being blown around by winds and waves of doctrine? Double-mindedness. Can I get someone on the keys if they would join me? Um, double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is, um, is not good. You, you know, And it comes across... Um, Oh, I've got a bit of time, which is good. It comes across when you don't expect it. And if you lack integrity, no matter what your situation, you will be found out. And if you mess around in your marriage with lack of integrity, it will come out. And you will find ways of blaming your partner. But your friends will see it as well. And so often, you can see stuff that... Or sorry, others can see stuff that you can't see. You know why? Because it's the way you talk And it's the way you behave. It's the way you respond in a situation. The language is strong. You don't want to live there. You want to live with maximum integrity. You want to live there. And um, this is very important. You know, a, a funny story, actually. We were in Macedonia... Was it last week? I'm losing track of which week it is and which country it is. But um, we were down there doing some amazing planning. And as Sophia said, it was just an insight. God is doing something really significant down there. We got some video testimony. We thought we'd just go down for a few days and get some planning done. We ended up becoming involved in ministry activity. And we went down to Struga. Some of you have met Emil and Vesna down at Struga. It's on the Albanian border. There's a big lake down there. They came and joined us for some time. They told me a funny story. They said um, their, their church, the new church building, I don't know if you remember, but last year we gave a, a sizable donation to help them uh, move towards buying that building down there. It was an immediate need, and we stepped up as a church, and the finance we sent down to them. And we're talking thousands of pounds. And, uh, and so they managed to secure their building. Well, in the last few weeks, or a couple of months ago, I guess, um, someone one night graffitied all over the outside of their building with spray paint and of course they were upset about it they were sowing their life into the community and uh, you know people don't like them very much because you've got a lot of Albanian Muslims majority in that area then you've got the Orthodox um, church environment and they were really upset by this so they contacted the police and the police um, came and they said oh, we'll find out these villains who've done this and they, they went and looked at CCTV And they found, when they looked at the CCTV, that the perpetrator of the crime was the local Orthodox priest. (laughs) Together with one of the arch-villains in their community. And together, they decided to spray all over the church. It just shows you, doesn't it, that if your integrity is questionable, it will come out. In this case, it was on video. Now, the police were very embarrassed by it needless to say, the priest was very embarrassed because it's a criminal offence. He could have gone to court. He could have got a sentence. So lo and behold, the priest turned up at the church and they spent three or four hours together. And you know what? By God's incredible grace, it started to knit together an opportunity. And the priest said, I never really understood you. And, uh, and now they're becoming friends. And it's opened a relationship. And, of course, the charges were dropped. And, of course, everyone kept it kind of quiet. Unless this message goes on the internet, in which case it's uh, Struger. So, <laughs> so as we get towards the back end of this, the final statement that Jesus made, the final stage, the statement that Jesus made was, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think right now God's about to speak to us because of this. And just for a few moments, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5, 37. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. We should try and capture our intentions into a yes or a no. It's when we move outside of the clarity of yes and no we get all the problems. In marriage the biggest yes you make at the beginning is i will okay but let your yes be yes don't let it become a no let it be yes in your marriage don't let the devil get into your marriage and say no it wasn't really a yes it was really a no make it a yes that you can stand by if you've got pr- pressures in your marriage and you want to talk to me and we we'll get together with you and we'll help you on that journey and i know there's complications in marriages that sometimes are not so straightforward, but God just says, "Let your yes be yes, and your no be no." And as I was preparing this message, I felt God say to me, "Look at this; it's all in Greek. I don't know how it ended up in Greek. I really don't. I didn't put it in Greek. Something's happened in the in the slides this morning. It's just the weirdest thing. I I did not. This is in English, okay." Um, Any Greek scholars out there? I'll tell you what those three words, three sentences are. They're this. Yes confirms our commitment. Yes confirms our commitment. The second item. Yes reveals our intentions. And thirdly, yes affirms our ownership. That's the power of yes. When you say yes, you are saying, I'm committed and focused. If you say yes... You lined up your intentions and you're determined to move forward in a direction. If you say yes, you say you own it. And when you own it, you become accountable for it. That's the power of yes. If you don't use the word yes, in fact, if you don't use the word no either, you're caught in between something that will mess you up: the yes or the no. James 1, verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no be no. As I was coming down here today, um, I turned the radio on in my car. And I don't often do this on the way to church, and it was on one of those music channels. And I changed it. I thought, I need to turn to Radio 4, which I don't normally do on the way to church. I turned Radio 4 on this morning, and there was somebody speaking as if they were preaching in a church. And over the radio, and it was on for maybe just a few moments, Jesus, this person was saying that Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And then he said, uh, Jesus said, Do you love me? And the answer was yes. Now, because I'm thinking about the word yesterday, today, not yesterday, yes, today, the commentator said, we should be willing to say yes. Yes to Jesus, because he is saying yes to us. Yes to Jesus, because he is saying yes to us. And this person kept saying, we must say yes to Jesus, because he is saying yes to us. And this morning, I feel that God is saying, I am saying yes to you. Will you say yes to me? Will you say yes? There are times... Let's just stand. Let's just stand. There are times when your no Must be no band, join me. We're going to sing a song in a moment. I want you to think about this. There are times when you need to say no. You need to say no to temptation. You need to say no to sinful behavior. You need to say no to those things that damage your marriage. You need to say no... But you need to say yes when Jesus is speaking. You need to say yes when he's calling you. You need to say yes when you know God's on it. We're going to sing a song right now, and then we're going to come back and close the service.